0: Hey y'all, welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes. I'm the RF campus minister here. And if this is your first time uh, coming to RUF, I just want to say welcome, thank you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, this is a community that doesn't exist for itself, but it exists to love and serve the campus and to love and serve one another because we believe that God has loved and served us first. Um, and so that's kind of part and parcel of who we are. Uh, before we get started, I do want to say this also. Uh, some of you probably know this, some of you may not, but My wife and I had a daughter in August, a little baby girl named Emery, and I'm going to baptize her this Sunday uh, at Church of the Good Shepherd at the 1045 service. If you would like to come to that, we would love to have you there, and if you want to take part in the life of that church or anything like that um, and see this, it's cool. It's fun. Um, It's a cool thing for me to get to do. I've never baptized anybody before, but, you know, minister's privilege to get to do your own kids, so that's cool. Uh, Anyway, let's get started. So... Have you ever thought about when you go into a mall, or maybe you shop on Amazon, or maybe you're scrolling down your Facebook page, or you watch Hulu, have you ever thought about the advertisements that pop up, or that kind of show up in that feed, Um, the commercials that you see, the things that they're trying to portray, or shape you in some way as, showing you what the good life would be, if you just had this pair of skinny jeans, or if you were going on this vacation, or if you had this book, or that album, have you ever thought about what the picture there is? As a picture of what your life could look like if you were blessed by that product. I mean, this is all around us all the time. Think about how many advertisements you see during the day. I mean, take like a local cool coffee shop. Like, what is the thing that that coffee shop is trying to make you feel or sense as you walk in there? Like, what's the advertisement it's throwing at you? First, there's this sense of brokenness that every good story has to tap into, right? Like, you're drinking Folgers? Are you kidding me? Do you even know about Starbucks, let alone what we've got here? how miserable your life must be, right? Like, that's step one. Like, create that need. And then secondly, there's this offer of community. Like, come out from the cold. Come into the warm glow of our coffee shop. We have really cool guys here with big, fat, mountain man beards. But don't worry, they're not scary. They wear skinny jeans, and they love Bonnie Vare. Like, come, join us. We're a community where coffee just flows like water and everybody has a tattoo of a bird on their ankle. It's amazing. I spent some time in coffee shops. Um. And then finally, there's the hope of redemption, right? Like If you pay $3... For a cup of our pour-over coffee, not only will your headache go away and you'll be able to focus at last, but you'll have this like zen-like level of tranquility where you'll be reading these amazing books and getting into super deep conversations like smart people do. Like You'll have a part of this incredible coffee shop community, and it's all local. It's super organic. You're helping farmers somewhere in South America just by drinking the coffee that you're going to drink anyway. Like, ladies and gentlemen, a new hero walks amongst us. And then finally, finally, there's the picture of this good life that you could own, right? Like, you will be the one wearing the skinny jeans one day. At last, you can pull off a cool tattoo. Guys, you could grow a sweet mountain man beard. Or ladies, you could pull off urban chic at last. And all you have to do is buy this cup of coffee. Like, that's it. Like, that's the story that all these advertisements are trying to tell us or pull us into in some way. I mean, Apple is doing the same thing when they sell you a phone or they sell you a computer, right? Like, there's a way of life that comes with these products. And they're showing you what the good life could be. What your life would be like if you were really blessed by Apple or blessed by coffee. You know, what would it look like for you, though, to really be blessed? That's the question we ask ourselves tonight. Have you ever thought about what that would be like? Um, we live in a pretty affluent community. We live in an affluent country. Most of us are pretty healthy. We're getting a good education before we go on to kind of bigger and better things. But do you ever think of yourself as someone who's blessed? Or someone who could be blessed? What would it mean if you were actually blessed? Like, really blessed by God? What would that mean? Because the world is constantly giving us pictures of what the good life would be. Or what a life that was blessed would be. But they don't always conform to what it would look like for us to actually flourish in the world. Like, we can drink a lot of coffee. We can have lots of really cool gadgets. You might know every single lyric to T. Swift's 1989 album. And yet we can still feel like there's more, right? Like we're not actually flourishing. Like, there's more to life than Taylor Swift? Um, But like, those things are not enough for us to be truly blessed. The picture of a blessed life that the Bible paints is one where you've received so much that you can't help but bless other people. Like you're like this empty cup, and God just pours himself into you, and you just run over into your community, into your friends, into your family. But the thing is, we can't give what we haven't received. And we need God to pour something into us before we can bless others. And we're surrounded by all these pictures of what a blessed life would look like. And I think it can be easy for us to forget what it actually would be like to be blessed by God. However, if we're going to flourish, then we have to look at this and remind ourselves and see what it would be like for God to bless us. So I have two points tonight. The first one is, how do we normally think of being blessed? How do we normally think of being blessed in the world? And then, how does the Bible want us to think about being blessed? How does the Bible want us to think about being blessed? So let's read Psalm 103, and we'll get started. This is a Psalm of David. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those (coughs) who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and the kingdom, his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O oh you, His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, and all places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let me pray for us when we get started. Father, we do pray that you would bless us now so that we might turn and bless the people around us, so we might turn and bless UNC and Chapel Hill and Durham, North Carolina and the world outside of it. But Lord, we know that apart from your blessing, we're empty vessels. That we pray that you would fill us now with your spirit, with your wisdom, with your truth, with a sense of your love, and that we would have these things through your Son, Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So what are the things that are shaping your picture of a blessed life? Like, what are those things in your head? How would you know what those things are in the first place? I think you could ask yourself, all right, What catches my attention when I'm scrolling down Facebook and people have posted things in their feed or that's on the side of the wall, advertisements? What catches my attention in that? Or what ignites your passions? When someone makes an announcement or you walk through the pit and you see something painted on those boards out there, what catches your attention? What ignites your passions? When you catch yourself daydreaming, what do you dream about? What do you get up really early for? What do you stay up really late for? What sort of opportunity, if it were to come to you, would you just cash out all of your savings and spend it on this one thing? What is that? What was that good life? For some, I think it's the promise of a semester abroad. For others, it's a really good night on Franklin Street. For others, it's just a super fun, chill summer. Uh, maybe having an easy Maymaster and then just kind of hanging out with some friends that are around. But all these things are pictures that we have of ourselves of the good life, of a blessed life. James K. Smith, a professor at UVA, writes that we're constantly being shaped by images of the good life, by the images of what a blessed life would be, which we don't think of as religious, but which are profoundly religious because the ways they shape our affections and our desires and our actions in really actually religious ways. He says that institutions that command our allegiance that vie for our passions, that give us a picture of the good life. Like, those are the things that are shaping us in really big ways. And by this definition, UNC and every other college is religious in some way. Commercial brands like Starbucks or Apple are super religious. Because think about how more than your own classes, but the very social fabric of this place is shaping you. Like when Duke won the NCAA last night, you were bummed. And if they were to lose and we were to win, and J.P. Tokido decided to uh, stay off from the NBA for one more year because he loves the Tar Heels and he just wanted to play for us again, you'd be riding pretty hot, right? Like, you'd be too blessed to be stressed. Well, that's right. I said that. <laughs> but why is that? Why is that? Is that just from you? Like, no, like, no one is born a fan. Fans are made. Fans are shaped. And they're shaped because of this picture of a blessed life in a certain way. In a way that commands your allegiance, your passions, that gives you a picture of the good life. And that's what David is doing here in this psalm. Zoom out for a minute and look at what he's doing. He starts off and says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Why? Why? Because he's trying to remember, what is the good life here? What is the thing that needs to shape me and shape my heart and my actions and my affections? And he remembers all the things that God's done for him. He says, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good. He works righteousness and justice for the poor and the oppressed. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And David goes on and on and on. What's David doing here? He's training his allegiance. He's guiding his passions. He's pressing into what he knows is the good life, even if he doesn't feel it. He's telling himself something here, right? You see, our culture says that the path to the good life of real blessedness comes really when you dig deep down into yourself and find the real you and live out of that no matter what other people say. Like, you've just got to find yourself somewhere, go on some sort of vision quest, or go to counseling, or have the right life experiences, and when you find that real you, live out of that, and it doesn't matter what other people say or want or do, to, for you to do in your life, that's the real you. You've got to live out of that. But the path that the Bible offers us is a little bit different. The path that the Bible offers says that the good life comes when you recognize your need of God. The life doesn't come from inside of you, but from outside of you. And that when you join God in a relationship that's not based on what you've done or what you haven't done or what you could do, but it's actually based on what He's done on your behalf and that He gives you and that you receive and that you respond to that, Like that's the good life. <laughs> the good life is one where you see what God has done for you and then you love people and you love God in a way that reflects that reality. Bless the Lord comes because God has blessed David first. And David sees that and he recognizes that, and he's turning around and he's saying, God, I bless you in return. And I bless these people in return. And our culture says ultimately that the good life is about you, fulfilling you. But the problem with that is that any life that's about you is actually really unfulfilling. Because it's selfish. But our and this is why David starts blessing God where he does. Look at verse 3 here. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Like this sense of forgiveness is the point of of entry for all the other blessings that David says. And he says that because our default setting is sinful. And the first thing that God has to deal with before we can enter to a life that blesses is he has to deal with our sin. He has to deal with that selfish part of us that says, My life is about me and everyone here is a spectator to my glory. But one of the great paradoxes of Scripture is that the way up is down. And that to be great, you have to be a servant. And the path to self-fulfillment is actually self-denial. And where that starts is seeing yourself and seeing your need to live under God's forgiveness. And people have always felt this, always experienced this. This is just part and parcel of biblical religion. Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern writer of the 1950s, she recently had a prayer book come out. Like She's been dead for close to 50 years, but someone found a bunch of her prayers when she was a student at the Iowa Writers' Workshop, um, when she was probably in her early 20s. And she's it, writing just really profound, deep prayers from the heart here, and she's wrestling with the fact that she's in this place that is super competitive. If you know anything about the Iowa Writers' Workshop, it is where some of the top writers of the last 100 years have come out of, been trained. And like just gone on and just exploded on the scene of American literature. Like She is at the top-notch place she could be. It's super competitive. She's incredibly talented. People are telling her how talented she is. She's working very, very hard. And she's so focused on herself that she's sick of herself. She's sick of paying attention to her writing. She's sick of paying attention to her own glory and how smart she is and how smart people are telling her she is. She's sick of how self-involved she is and she writes in this prayer book, she writes this really deep prayer. And she says, Dear God, I can't love you the way that I want to love you. That I feel like you're the slim crescent of this moon that I see and that myself is the shadow that keeps me from seeing all of the moon. And God, what I'm afraid of is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole of who you are. And I'm going to judge myself by this shadow that's nothing and God, I just don't know you because I'm in the way. Like she just sees that about herself, and she just writes this really honest prayer. And I say that because before you can live a good life in a way that's fulfilling, it has to not be about you. You have to start on your knees. You have to start by saying, "God, I'm empty. Fill me. I'm my sha- I'm the shadow that blocks your light. Get me out of my way." Otherwise, even the seemingly good things that you do to kind of bless other people are really about you. So that people can see how nice of a person you are. So they can be impressed by your level of involvement in other things. So you can try and balance the scales of good and bad or be a well-rounded person. But ultimately, all those things lead back to you, don't they? Don't you ever get tired of that? Man, I do. I find myself living in that all the time and having to repent and believe and I get sick of it. But that's just part and parcel of life. David goes deeper into forgiveness here, too. He says, look at at verse 11 and 12 here. David is celebrating forgiveness. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far apart are the east and the west? Like they're infinitely far apart. They can't ever touch. As far as you go from the east towards the west, you just never make it. Like it's always more distance. You can't ever connect them, right? And David is saying that when God forgives you, your sin can't ever touch you. It's never a part of you. God doesn't ever look at you look at that sin as though we're a part of who you are. In God's eyes, you are bulletproof. And we tend to define ourselves what we have or haven't done. But when your definition of yourself begins with God's forgiveness, then it's just not about you. It's it's about Him. It's about His work. So that your life, when you're not looking at yourself, you're getting out of the way of yourself, it can be about others. Because you're pulled out of the equation. Because your good stuff wasn't good enough to get you in. God had mercy on David and forgives him. But your bad stuff isn't bad enough to keep you out either, right? Like, David has murdered people. He's an adulterer. He wants, at some point in, the, in uh, 2 Samuel, he says, God, I want to build you a temple to your name. And God says, you can't do it. You've killed too many people. You're too bad to build me a temple. And yet God forgives him. And welcomes him in. And when he does that, he's free to live this unselfish, fulfilling life just in the mercy of God. Alright, if the image here is a huge space that opens up, like the distance between east and west, this infinite space, what does God do to fill that space? What does He do to fill that space? Look at verse 13 here. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. In the middle of this huge, infinite space, what does God do? He plants forgiveness. And He plants a relationship and it just opens up into fatherly love. Into a God that embraces you, that is for you. A God that is all good, that is completely eternal, that is all wise. That pursues you, that people have called the hound of heaven because of the way he pursues people and loves people. He loves you with that kind of love. Not some of it, but all of it. All of the love that God has, he pours into you. His people. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Parks and Rec. It's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. and I'm sad it just ended, but one of my favorite characters on there um, is Ron Swanson. He's just kind of this big, burly guy. He's got a mustache. Uh, he plays a sax. He eats a lot of meat, a lot of red meat, and uh, just is just this amazing character. But one of my favorite episodes is he's sitting down and he's at this diner. And he's ordering, and he says to the waiter, just give me all the bacon and all the eggs that you have. And the waiter says, uh, okay. And he turns and walks away, and Ron goes, wait, wait, wait. wait. I worry that you think that I said, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. But what I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs. Do you understand? <laughs> and the waiter comes back and brings him literally all the bacon and eggs in the place. And I say that because I worry that what some of y'all have heard me say just now was that God loves you a lot. But what I said is that God gives you all of His love. He's completely for you. That He's totally after you. That when He removes your transgressions as far as the east is from the west, that He gives you all of His love. All of who He is. That He crowns you with His steadfast love and mercy Which means that he gives you the most essential part of who he is. When people in the Bible say, God, tell us who you are. He says, I am the God of steadfast love and mercy. He puts his glory on your head. He puts who he is on your head. That's incredible. He knows our frame. He knows that we're made of carbon and oxygen and nitrogen and water. And that we're the dust of the earth. And yet he's gentle with us. And he's kind with us. And if he's for you and he's done all these things for you, then bless him. Lord, you're so kind to forgive me and welcome me into a relationship with you. Who am I that I would know you? And yet here you are. And here I am, and you welcome me. And David calls others to do the same. He says, says, Bless the Lord, O you angels. Bless the Lord, all the works of his hands. You know, Call others to bless God. Reveal to them how good God is. Because all mission springs from blessing. Like we just celebrated uh, Easter. Jesus in the Bible sends out after Easter his disciples into the world. And he sends them out after he's died for them and risen from the dead from them. He blesses them with the totality of his life and he sends them out into the world. Mission starts with blessing. And if you get the gospel, then give the gospel to people. Because blessing is really apocalyptic. Um, And what I mean when I say that is the word apocalypse, this is me, Greek nerd here, just means unveiling or revealing. You should be apocalypsing people all the time with how good God is. You should have conversations with your friends that go something like, you know why you love Chick-fil-A waffle fries? Because God is good. And they can say back to you, you know, I love fries because I love salt. I love fried food. I love the fact that the waffle shape gives more surface area for that crunchy, crispy part of the fry. And you can say back like, no, what you love is about the fry are those things. But why you love the fry is because God is good. And he's given you salt and fat and delicious waffle fries. (laughs) He has. That's why you love those fries. And helping people to see God's goodness should just be part and parcel of what we're about. Like most of the Christian life is calling people to see how good God is. And looking and reflecting yourself on how good He is. Because we should be doing this for ourselves too. Because if you know your heart, then you know that the default setting is not to trust God. And it 's not to bless god it 's not to see yourself as somebody who's blessed, but somebody 's always got to work for more blessings, somebody 's always got to try harder there's always some bar that you've got to achieve, but the gospel says that the bar has been set so that you're just you're given it. God has given you what you need to be in a relationship with him he's given you what you need for him to be happy with you, and this whole psalm is David saying. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Because he knows himself and he knows that the biggest fight in his life is with his own soul. And with his own heart because he just doesn't believe sometimes. And neither do we. And that's why this is in the Bible. Because you need to know that that's just part of the life sometimes with Christ. Is that you need to talk to yourself and say, soul, today you don't believe but believe that God loves you and cares for you and is kind to you. I'll end with this. Have you ever had a, a friend who goes to a shelter uh, for animals, like a vet or a pound or something like that, and just picks out like one of those like shelter dogs, or it's just a mutt? And we had friends who did this. Her name was Franny, and every time you walked into their house, she would fall on the floor and just pee all over herself, and she was just totally vacant behind the eyes. Like, you just knew, like, this is not a smart dog. <laughs> like, there were no tricks coming from this dog. Um, every, and every time you came in, she would pee on herself because she was terrified of you. And every time our friends left, she would be absolutely just so afraid that they were never coming back. Like she would whine and whine and whine because she just didn't think that even though this was the millionth time they'd left and returned to their house that they were going to come back for her. Or if they turned their back for one minute and there was a chance for her to get the dog food, she was going to rip that bag open and just gorge herself until she couldn't eat anymore because she was convinced that they were just not going to feed her. Like you could sit on the couch and you could pet this dog and every time your hand would come up to pet her she would cringe. She would cringe or flinch, or turn away. Like, no matter how long they loved her, like, that was just part of what she did. And y'all, that's all of us. That you have to remind yourself all the time that God is good. Because we're like these shelter dogs that just don't believe that God is going to take care of us, or give us good things, or, or sustain our souls. But the Gospel says, you know, that if He sent His own Son into the world and crucified Him so that you could be His child, what else wouldn't He do for you? What other kindness wouldn't He do? That Jesus forgave your sin by taking on the disease of your sin. That He redeemed your life from the pit by going into the pit for you on your behalf. That God crowned you with steadfast love and mercy because Jesus wore a thorn of crowns. That God cares for the poor and the oppressed because he became poor and oppressed. That Jesus does everything on our behalf. And we just have to remind ourselves of that. And you just need friends to tell you that. And you need to read your Bible and see that that's what this story is about. And when you pray, no matter how weak that prayer is, pray and ask God, help me to believe, help me to see. Help me to know how good you are so that I can bless you. Oh, my soul, so that I can bless you. Let's pray now. Father, you are so good to us that you give us your very heart. You give us your son, Jesus. And not some of him, but all of him. And Lord, on days when we're doing well or we feel like we're doing well, Lord, he has as much for us is on days when we feel like we are in the depths of woe, or when we have walked as far away from you as we can. Lord, all of your love is given to us. Lord, help us to love other people out of that. Help us to love you and serve you out of that, out of the freedom of self forgetfulness. Lord, so often we get in the way of ourselves. We get in the way of knowing you, we get in the way of loving you. But Lord, would you break through our selfishness and our sin? give us your peace. Give us your mercy. Give us a knowledge of who you are. Lord, help us to rest in your work. Help us to trust you with what you've done. God, set us free to love others out of the knowledge of your love. In your sense we pray. Amen.